Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. My name is Scott Zeller, and I serve as an elder here at Redeemer. I also direct the Gulf Training Center in our church planning efforts, and we're so thankful for all the Lord is doing to advance the gospel in this region. It's great to be back with you. I was one of that crew that took a little mini church retreat over to Bangalore last week for Shanel and Ruth's wedding, and it was such a delight uh, to be back in India. I love India. For those of you who don't know, I used to live there. Love it so much. And what I loved so much about this wedding was not just that the gospel was preached so faithfully, which it was, but I got to drink as much chai as I wanted. There, by God's grace, there was a chai stall right outside of our hotel. It was amazing. It was one of those old um, chai kind of cisterns that had been making chai for about 40 years and never being cleaned, I don't think. Um, so there's sedimentary layers of chai from back when Indira Gandhi was prime minister. And what's up with chai being more expensive these days? When I, when I got to India, it was five rupees for a cup of chai. Now, ten rupees for chai? Maybe that was just the white man price. <laughs> that, that's not in my notes. I don't know why I'm talking about that. <laughs> to reiterate one announcement made already this morning, uh, we are having a members meeting this evening. If you are a member of Redeemer Church of Dubai, please attend with us at Limeridian Hotel in Garhud. Uh, begin at 5 p.m. We'd love to have that time together. Um, we have a lot to cover this evening. It'll be a special time as a family. Please join us. And for the baptism immediately preceding that, you are all welcome. It's at 4 p.m. again at Lemery, and we would love to have you there. Well, it's my joy to bring you God's Word this morning. We've got plenty of ground to cover, so let's dive right in. For the last several weeks as elders, we've been teaching one by one through the book of 2 Timothy. I hope you've enjoyed this series. We've been looking through this letter that's a, a personal letter from a father to a son, from a leader to a follower, from a master to a disciple, to a student. Paul, who's writing this letter, is a former persecutor of the church, but someone who the Lord graciously saved, radically saved, as he was in the process of persecuting the church, and he became an apostle one who spread the gospel all throughout Central Asia and Europe, a pioneer church planter. And Timothy is his understudy, his apprentice, who he has been raising up to lead churches as well. But Paul is concerned for Timothy. Throughout this book, we've seen that Paul is concerned because Timothy is fearful. Timothy's beginning to experience persecutions. He's being challenged by false teachers. He's surrounded by people who are not lovers of God, but lovers of evil, and Paul is concerned for his son in the faith. There's something Paul eagerly wants for Timothy. Something he earnestly desires, that he wants for his son in the faith. It rings so clearly throughout this letter in our text, and it's this. Paul wants his son, Timothy, to continue in the faith. To continue in the faith. So far in 2 Timothy, he's, he's called him to fan into flame the gift he's been given. He's called him to guard the deposit of the gospel that Timothy's been given. He's called him to be strengthened, to endure. Paul wants him to continue. He's saying, don't give up. Don't give up. Now, I, I don't know about the film tradition in your culture. I, I couldn't say if Bollywood or Nollywood or Tagalog cinema. Is that Tollywood? I don't know. 
have anything like this, but perhaps you've seen one of Hollywood's great war movies or sports movies. They all have this one scene. It's the big speech scene. It's the scene right before the epic battle or the final game where the army general or the coach gets up and he gives this speech that's going to send his troops or his team into victory. Like Aragorn in Return of the King, who rides back from the Black Gate, seeing the enemy, and he calls his people to action. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it's not this day. Or William Wallace in Braveheart, who calls his Scottish troops as they they look across the field and they see they're completely outnumbered and outmatched by the tyrannical English. No offense to those of you from England. And William Wallace challenges his troops. They say, but if we fight, we'll die. The famous words, fight and you may die. Run and you'll live, at least for a while. Where's Rob McBoyle? You should be up here saying this. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from that day into this one for just one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they might take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Now, I don't care if you're a pacifist. If you hear that speech, you want to fight. It emboldens you. It encourages you. You say, yes. Well, this is, 2 Timothy is Paul's not-this-day speech to Timothy. It's his freedom speech to Timothy. It's his charge to his son in the faith. And in our passage here in 2 Timothy 3.10, we see that imperative. We see that call. It's right in the middle of this set of verses from 10 to 17. In verse 14, As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Continue in the faith. There's many things in this passage that we are going to look at, but the one point that you need to walk away with from this morning is to continue in the faith. So if you're taking notes, there it is. That is the one point to this message. Continue in the faith. And there's two subpoints. Continue in the faith by following godly examples and continue in the faith by knowing Scripture. Let's start with the main point. Continue in the faith. And there's a sobering reality that is all throughout Scripture, and it's something that all of us know very tangibly, and that is that the trials and the temptations and the troubles of this life lead some to fall away. Some who used to be in this room, some who used to worship with us, maybe friends of yours, family members of yours, maybe even yourself, at one time were a faithful attender, having the appearance of godliness, but yet fell away. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Phygelus, Hermogenes, Demas, three men just in the surrounding verses of our passage today that turned away. 
the deserted that so loved this present world that whatever love they may have had for, for the, the appearing of Christ went cold, was choked up, was ignored, left unguarded, and ultimately completely lost. And one reason for this abandonment is surely the sufferings that accompany someone who attaches themselves to the gospel. Paul has reminded Timothy in 1.12.2.9, here in 3.11 in our passage, and again in 4.14, that the preaching of the gospel has meant much suffering for Paul. There is persecution. In fact, in 3.12, here in our passage, in case Timothy thinks that that's just something for Paul and that he would experience, Paul says no. All who are godly in Christ. He makes it a, a principle that if you follow, if you preach, persecution will come to you. Paul did not see persecution as something to be pursued, but he did see it as something that was inevitable. So not only persecution, but Paul warns Timothy about the cultural pressures to abandon the gospel. If they can't fight you out, they will pull you out. He speaks earlier in chapter 3, people that are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is the difficult times that Timothy ministered in. Persecution, definitely going to happen. Godly living, never going to be popular. That's Timothy's reality. And what is Timothy to do? Continue. Continue. Notice the strong contrast that helps us understand this idea of continuing between how Paul describes evil people and how he calls Timothy. He says evil people, in verse 13, they go on from bad to worse. The idea here is one of, of movement, of, of continuing on in a direction. Of, of, it's kind of an ironic, they've set their target in the wrong direction and are making great progress toward it but will not even get there because of their folly. They won't get very far. So it's this idea of someone going on from this to that, always learning, never coming to a knowledge of the truth. In contrast to that, Paul wants Timothy to do the opposite. Don't go on. Don't continue. Don't look for something new. Continue in what you know. Stand firm. Remain. Abide. This is a very similar contrast in 2 John 9, which says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Going on ahead is contrasted with abiding. Don't move on. Remain. Don't leave. Abide. Don't change continue. When faced with trials and temptations, Christians don't go looking for some more powerful or some new secret truths. We go deeper into the truths that brought us to God, the gospel. Let's turn the attention from Timothy a moment to you. As I spoke of people who fall away, so we think of Demas, who loved this present world. When you think of that, is your heart moved to continue? 
Are you thankful for the gospel that the Lord has given you and, and challenged, saying, yes, Lord, I want to continue by faith? Or is the Holy Spirit saying something different in your heart? Then no, that, that's you. That's, that's you. You're, you're Demas. You're in love with this present world. And although you're with us for a time, if we were to monitor your social media, your, your Facebook activity, your, your WhatsApp conversations for a week, we would see someone who's, who's dipping their toe in the love of this world, in the, into the shallow waters of exploring delight in this world, getting ready to swim out into the deep end of full-on abandonment of God and His power. Verse 13 also notes that evil people and imposters, imposters, an imposter is someone who pretends to be someone else to get something they don't deserve. Pretends to be someone else to get something they don't deserve. This word is also translated as a wizard. It's, it's literally somebody who is trying by some kind of a magic trick to appear godly but deny the power of God to redeem their lives and change them. Deny the power of God to rescue them from their addictions, their ambitions, to rescue them from their shame. Friends, if, if this is you, before we talk about continuing in the faith, some of you need to begin in the faith this morning. If you've never repented of your sins, if, you've, if you are faking Christianity, if you believe that you are a Christian because your parents were Christians, friend, that does not make you a Christian. Seek Christ by faith. Paul speaks the gospel so clearly in 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. He says that we receive the gospel not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began which are now being manifested through the appearing of Jesus Christ, who abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Not by works. There's nothing that you can bring. There is, there is no appearance of godliness that you can attain such that you go from being an imposter to being true. The only way is to be dressed in Christ's righteousness alone that he purchased for you on the cross with his blood reconciling those who have faith in him to God. Friend, if, if you've never done that, if you've never begun in faith in Christ, if the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart this morning that you are one of those who's hanging on by a thread in your attachment to the Christian community, friend, join us. We invite you to receive Christ by faith. Spend time with us after this service. Our members are throughout the room and would love to meet you. If you need to rush off, look at, look at page 12 in your bulletin. You'll see all of our staff and elder emails there. Pick one. Pick, pick one of them, any of them. Send them an email. Subject line, I'm not a believer. They'll open the email. They would love to chat with you. And let me also say a word to those of you who believe themselves to be genuinely Christians. You have received the gospel. You are living in accordance with what you understand to be true. But when you hear this concept of those who fall away, you're fearful. And you think, oh, maybe that is me. I, I, I don't know. I'm, you're, you're kind of given to anxiety. Well, I hope that you find encouragement in this passage. 
Because that's exactly where Timothy is. This man that Paul is hoping will lead churches, he is one who is fearful. Paul's consistent, careful instruction to Timothy to stand firm, to not be ashamed, to guard, to continue, are all because Timothy has those concerns for himself. The reality is the need to continue in the faith should be an encouragement to us. It shouldn't spur us to doubt, but to pursue our salvation all the more. Because Christ is a great Savior. In chapter 2 it says, When we are faithless, He remains faithful. It's the same word that Paul is calling Timothy to. Remain, continue. Even when we are tempted to not, Christ always does. If you are in Christ, He will always remain faithful to you. Well, that's the main point. That is, that is the main thing that we want to think about today is continuing in the faith given to us. Now, Paul, within this passage, gives us two ways that Timothy can have confidence in that charge. Paul's not just telling Timothy, go and do that, but he actually shows him how, and he gives Timothy reasons why he can continue in the faith. And those two things serve as instruction for us for ways that we can also continue. The first of these, continue in faith by following godly examples. Continue in the faith by following godly examples. Paul began this section of verses by reminding Timothy how he was so different than others. By reminding Timothy how he had followed Paul's example. In contrast to Janus and Jambres, in verse 8, who opposed Moses, they opposed God's man, God's teacher, Timothy did the opposite. Timothy followed God's man. Timothy followed Paul. Paul was a godly example for Timothy in his teaching, his conduct, his aim in life, his patience, his love and steadfastness, his endurance through suffering. Paul pointed Timothy to Scripture through his example. And it's not as though Paul thought he was alone in being worthy of an example to follow. Paul points out that Timothy has been learning scripture from childhood. Paul's not the only one that's impacted Timothy. He wants Timothy to remember, remember who you've learned it from. Remember that you've learned this from reliable people, your mother and your grandmother. They had taught him well, as 1 Timothy 1, or 2 Timothy 1 tells us. And just as an aside, Christian mother, you must find encouragement in that. That Paul, the apostle of Christ, writer of much of the New Testament, the one who took the gospel to the Gentiles, and who's been discipling Timothy, that Paul is eager to share the spotlight with those who have impacted Timothy with his mother and his grandmother. What a joy to see mothers who consistently over time, over although sometimes you must think that you do more diapers than devotions, you are having an impact on your child. We praise God for you. Continue on. Well, these godly examples, whether it's his mother or his um, discipler in Paul, these were examples of people that pointed Timothy to Christ. I hope that you have godly examples in your past. I hope that you have people in your life that you can look back on and say, this person 
pointed me to the scriptures. As I was preparing this this week, I um, the first person that came to my mind, the first person was Pramod Malakar. Pastor Pramod Malakar. He was one of the pastors at the church that we served at in Delhi. When we came to meet uh, Pastor Malakar, he was in his late 70s. About 50 years before that, having been born into an ardent Hindu family, he read the Bible trying to find fault with it. What he told me is, Scott, I read the Bible trying to find a way to prove to my friends that the Bible was false, to find a fault with it. But the Bible found fault with me. He was saved by just reading the scriptures. And since that day, 50 years on, had, had pastored and planted dozens of churches throughout Northeast India and North India. The last time I was with Pastor Malakar, um, I noticed a new chair there in his flat. And not knowing him to spend money on anything other than chai and ice cream, I said, Pastor Malakar, that's, that's a really nice new chair although it was very plain. And he said, you know, Scott, yeah, the, the doctors told me to buy this chair. I've been having trouble walking, and they said it's because I'm spending too much time on my knees in prayer. So they wanted me to sit rather than kneel. The man was having trouble walking because he spent too much time on his knees in prayer. Friend, might that be all of us if we make it to our late 70s and early 80s that we would have trouble walking because our knees are too tired from being on the floor in prayer. Pastor Malachar is a godly example to me of faithfulness in the ministry and passion for prayer. My life will never be the same because of what I experienced through him. Well, let me ask you two quick questions before we move on to our next point. Are you putting yourself under godly examples? Are you putting yourself under godly examples. Hebrews 13, 7 and and 17 say, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of truth. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Godly examples are meant to be both seen and followed. You must be willing to submit to leaders as a Christian. Submit to them to see their lives, to to witness godliness, and to, by reflection on your own life, as you see it played out in theirs, imitate it. Ask, how can I be changed? How can I better grow in God's word because of what I see in their life? And the appropriate context for you to submit yourself to godly examples is the local church. You can't submit yourself to a podcast preacher or a YouTube yogi. You need to know your examples. That's why tonight at the members meeting, as elders will put forward three more men from the congregation that we think are godly examples, men whose lives commend the gospel and who are ready and able to serve as elders. We put them forward to the membership because we want all of the members to affirm these men. We want them to get to know them, to ask them questions, to find out who they are, so that when those men, Lord willing, become elders, they will be examples, as 1 Peter 5 says, to the flock. 
They will not reign over the flock as if by becoming an elder you become separate from the flock, but they will remain with the flock as examples, as leaders. Brothers and sisters, put yourself under godly examples. Godly examples are a grace to you for you to continue in the faith. Perhaps you're just visiting with us, you you call another church home. Friend, get to know your leaders there. I pray that they are godly examples to you and help you continue in the faith. So are you putting yourself under godly examples? And secondly, are you putting yourself around godly examples? Are you putting yourself around godly examples? Pursue friendships with godly examples. You know, I originally in this manuscript, and you should be thankful because this is about a third as long as my first draft. I had about a thousand words on Psalm 1 that Ethan read to us here this morning. Um, And I had no idea that you were going to read that. So praise the Lord for that because you got it anyways. Um, Psalm 1 where it tells us, don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Don't stand in the way of sinners. But delight in the law of the Lord. So the unspoken principle there is sit in the way of people that will point you and help you delight in the law of the Lord. Don't have friends that will distract you from the scriptures. Have friends that will commend the scriptures to you. Let those closest to you be those most ready to help you see and delight in scripture. Well, Timothy had Paul, his mother, his grandmother, and certainly others that Paul looked at and said, Timothy, look at these around you. Look at these that are, that are ready to help you continue, that by their faithfulness to you over time have helped you be ready for this day where you need to continue. So I encourage you likewise, as you seek to continue in the faith, don't do it alone, but be under and around godly examples. Second sub-point, continue in the faith by knowing Scripture. Continue in the faith by knowing Scripture. Later, after he's called him to continue and called him to remember who he learned, that which he firmly believes, that which, where he learned his faith, Paul gives us beautiful words about Scripture. Some of the most clear and profound words about Scripture in all of the Bible. He says, though, that Timothy has been acquainted with this from his childhood. That means he has an intimate knowledge. He's, he's deeply aware of the scriptures. Now, I want to be clear here when I, when I say that these are two ways that the Lord helps us to continue, that these are also different things. The godly examples in your life, as I've tried to say, are people that point you to scripture. Godly examples are not scripture. The things that your friends say to you are not infallible. People can give you bad advice, even otherwise godly examples. But hopefully what they've done is pointed you to Scripture so that you are able to discern their example. So we need godly examples to help us and encourage us and point us to Scripture, but Scripture is that which informs and is the authority over our faith. As Paul says here, it is what is able to make us wise for salvation. 
Paul does not hold himself forward and say, I am the one who made you wise to salvation. He holds himself as one who followed Scripture and therefore pointed Timothy to that which made him wise for salvation in Christ. Let's consider what Paul says about Scripture here for a moment. One question you might have would be, okay, this is Paul talking before Timothy was finished. So does that mean that all the verses previous to this are the ones Paul is referring to as God-breathed and profitable? Or is it just the Old Testament? What is it that is Scripture in Paul's mind here? He refers to the sacred writings or the Holy Scripture. Well, I think without going too deep into it, I just want to give you the confidence that yes, we can say what Paul is teaching here about Scripture applies to what you have in your hands. And one way you can see that is, is that Paul specifically says Scripture is that which makes you wise unto salvation. The Old Testament pointed to Christ. The Old Testament um, prophesied about Christ and helped us understand the world as it is to receive Christ. But it is the New Testament that opens that up for us and helps us to understand and makes us wise to salvation through Jesus Christ. So here Paul must have in his mind something more than just the Old Testament. And as we come to see in church history, the New Testament is that which is also God-breathed. What's interesting about what Paul says here about Scripture is that he spends so little time on that phrase, God-breathed. Now, for some of us, I don't know about the culture you come from, but certainly in America, if I were to say that this book is God-breathed, that it is inspired by God, for most people in America, that would be met with skepticism. In a secular society, they would say, okay, really? There's some fairy tale God up there that, what did he do? He, he called the people on the phone? He whispered to them? He himself wrote it? What, what is this? Paul doesn't really spend much time explaining it. He just says it. He just says, this scripture, these words that you hold in your hands, are breathed out by God. They are literally the words of God written down for you. And I think why we see him spending so little time on that is that he, I think, assumes Timothy already knows that and appreciates that. Timothy is already one who has known the scripture from birth and is favorable towards it. Timothy's struggle, though, what is standing in the way of the potential for Timothy to continue is his lack of seemingly understanding that scripture is profitable. Because Paul goes on very uh, with several descriptions of the profitability of Scripture. He says in one word, it's inspired. And then spends the rest of the time talking about how to use it. And for many of us in this room, I, I would assume that we have a similar dilemma. Many of you probably appreciate Scripture. You, you might have grown up in a home where the Bible was always on the top shelf. Or if the Bible was on the table, you would not put anything on top of the Bible. The Bible would never be seen on the floor. You had great respect for the book. But friend, has your respect for the book translated into the book being profitable in your life? Can you look at your life and say, my life is changed, it's different, it's being changed, it's being edited, it's being adjusted 
daily because of what I see in Scripture? Or is it just on your top shelf? Friend, I want to encourage you, in addition to having godly examples, those godly examples will mean nothing if you don't commit to a lifestyle, a lifestyle of learning and using Scripture. A lifestyle of learning and using Scripture. I mentioned mothers. My mother is the greatest mother of all. She came to faith around the time I was born. So I was raised in the home where, where she was, uh, by the time I can remember, quite familiar with Scripture. But she tells the story often of when she came to faith, she had never touched a Bible. So she, she, somebody told her the gospel, she believed, and her second thought was, I guess I should own a Bible. So she went to the Christian bookstore in California, walked in and said, I need a Bible. The man said, which one? There was many different ones. She picked one and began for the first time in her 30s to read the Bible. And if there's anything you would come to know about my mom if you meet her, she loves God's Word. She loves God's Word. When, when I was in university, she would write me cards in the mail. It would have a few sentences about, um, you know, here's some things going on at home, hope you're well, and then about three chapters of Ephesians, just written out. <laughs> Please come home for Christmas, the book of First John, just written out. She loved scripture. There was six of us children growing up. So with all the sports activities and school activities and friends' houses to go to, we were in the car a lot. I don't remember one time in the car where my mom was not listening to John MacArthur on cassette tape. We never listened to music. She said, Scott, I spent 30 years listening to the Beatles. I'm going to listen to John MacArthur now. (laughs) And she did. Friend, Learn scripture. Love scripture. You need to, Paul points out twice to Timothy that continue in what he has learned and remember who he learned it from. He emphasizes that word learned. This is not something that you can just, again, have on the shelf. It's not something that you can automatically download. It's not something that you can passively receive. But knowledge of scripture must be learned. You have to listen to it. You have to read it. You have to discuss it with your friends. My greatest prayer for Redeemer, and it is why we do ministry the way we do it, is that this would be a church where it is a, we have a culture of Bible, where when we sit down over a meal, it is natural for us to discuss the scriptures. When I ask, how are you doing? You interpret your life relative to the scripture that you've been reading. Friends, let's read the Bible together. Well, we began by thinking how 2 Timothy is Paul's battle cry to Timothy. It's his freedom speech, his not this day speech. But I want to end with a thought of where the speech has taken us. See, in these verses, Paul pointed out to Timothy how he could have confidence to continue. He could have confidence to continue in the faith 
to remain in the faith and to abide in the faith because of godly examples, because of the authority of Scripture, and because of the profitableness of Scripture. I want you to think about your own life and whether or not you are on sure footing. If I told you right now, stay where you are, is that a good place to stay? Do you have the relationships in your life that are pointing you to Scripture? Do you have the habits that, that are fostering a knowledge of Scripture and learning Scripture? If I told you, continue in exactly what you're doing right now, would that be a good thing? Or as you thought about your life, would you realize, no, I, I'm, I'm on shaky ground. I'm on, I'm on sandy ground. Have you, have you ever tried to walk in the sand? It's not easy, is it? You, your foot slides a little bit and slides that way. Well, let, let me ask you this. Have, have you ever been on Sheikh Zayed Road? If you've been on Sheikh Zayed Road, ra- raise your hand. Okay, a third of you have been on Sheikh Zayed Road. <laughs> I'm assuming everybody has been on Sheikh Zayed Road. Now, if I can't walk on sand... How are they building the tallest buildings in the world on sand? Did you ever wonder that? Did you ever wonder how Emirates Towers and the World Trade Center and the Burj Khalifa, did you ever wonder how, how, how are these buildings that weigh hundreds of tons built on the sand? They're built on the sand because there is a rock. It's just 30 or 40 meters below the sand. That's about 120 feet for you Americans. It's down there. You just have to get there. So what they do is they, they drill holes straight down through the sand, about 130 feet, about 40 meters. They fill those holes with steel and with concrete, literally raising the bedrock up to the surface. And they do this again and again and again and again until they have raised the bedrock enough to where those buildings can stand. If in New York City a, a building can stand I'm just on a few of these pillars. The average building in Dubai has 250 of these pillars drilled down to the bedrock, poured in concrete, raising it up to the surface. We can't think about that without hearing the words of Christ from Matthew 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. The rain fell... The floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. And by God's grace, he's given you godly examples in your life that can point you to scripture. And with every chapter you read, with every, with every passage you learn, with every godly example that's pouring into your life, pillars are going down into the bedrock so that your faith may continue. Because Christ is a firm foundation and those who are in him will never fall. Let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are that you have not left us to continue on our own. By your grace, you've sent people. 
You've sent messengers. You've sent mothers and leaders and friends to point us to Scripture and to point us to the gospel that we see there that Jesus Christ saves sinners. And in Him alone, we have a firm foundation.